thank you for joining us on the live stream. It is good to see everybody. I'm just, I'm just feeling the spirit this morning. I'm just so blessed to be in this place. This is a good day. You know why? The day the Lord has made. The Lord made it. That's right. So, the Lord made it. It's a reason to celebrate. Let's stand up and worship the Lord. Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8 says this. My soul, wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. My God, my salvation, and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge, is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. You know, He is our refuge. He is our only hope. He is our only source of strength. Sometimes we want to just say stuff and we get anxious. But He says, wait silently. Wait for Him because He is our hope and He always comes through. Amen? Let's worship Him. Yeah. 
his leadership, the spirit, the counselor, the helper. So that's what we're going to do this morning as Pastor Troy. We're going to begin a new sermon series, and the Holy Spirit is going to permeate that. We're going to sing about that this morning. So let's continue to sing. He leadeth me, oh blessed thought, oh words with heavenly comfort
this morning those who gave their lives for the service to our country. Memorial Day has become a day when um, we um, recognize everyone who has gone before us. I I've joked before that my grandmother uh, made it bigger than Christmas in some ways because we as a family would spend weeks preparing, getting flowers together and, and organizing arrangements and go to different cemeteries. Uh, we take lunch out with us and we'd find shelters at different church cemeteries uh, and so forth and that we'd eat dinner out there while we because it was just an entire daily event and we would go through each of the cemeteries and and uh and look at the different people and, and they would tell us about these are our family members and this is how we're all connected and this is the story behind each person and so forth and um i miss that um miss not just <laughs> not that i just really enjoyed going to the cemetery as a kid but it was the fact that we were doing it together. It was something that we, it was just a, a way that we passed our heritage on to one another. And, and you don't see as much as that anymore. And I know my mother continues on, on doing that. I know that she, um, that she is actually doing that this weekend. So, um, but in these times, it's, it's kind of a, 
Uh, it's one just one more reminder of how we're kind of disjointed right now and things aren't like they need to be. But we do don't just want to take time to remember those who have fallen. We also just want to take a moment to recognize those who have served, who are still with us. And so if you're here with us this morning and you served in our armed forces, we just would you mind standing this morning? We just want to take a moment to recognize you and just say thank you. Thank you for your service. God bless you all. You may be seated. Thank you. We are going to take up our morning offering now, and uh, we have some people coming around with um, bags, and um, and so uh, it is. Uh, it's just a non. We don't pass a plate just because we're trying to keep it as non-contact as possible. Uh, still trying to be careful during this time. I think I think a lot of a lot of guard has dropped. Uh, and and uh, we're, I think we're all getting tired of uh, of trying to observe all the social distancing and all different things. But just remembering this morning that we we're still trying to be careful. Uh, we don't want a resurgence. We don't. There's still uh, there's still a risk of of getting infected. And so uh, so anyway, just um, bear with us as we 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 still are having to do some of these things for an extended period of time. Our governor spoke to us this week and and said that it doesn't look like the six foot of separation thing is going to go away. Uh, this month like we thought it might uh, but uh, so we continue to do this for a little bit longer but I do want to say thank you thank you at home thank you for the people here thank you for the people that come to our drive-in service uh, thank you for all the people who just, who are continuing to give and be that was something we we feared uh, because I know when we have snow days and there's ice or whatever and we have to miss a Sunday uh, we never really make up for that uh, but this has been a time when that has not been the case. Everybody has still continued to give faithfully. And uh, as, if they aren't here, they give as though they are. And uh, I want to thank you for that because that's you. Uh, you may not realize this, but we don't have some, uh, we don't have a corporate sponsorship. We don't get an endorsement check from Nike. If I wear Nike apparel, we don't get any money from that or anything. Uh, all, all of the ministries of this church, all, everything that we do is completely funded by the people in this church. And, uh, and so that's us together, putting our resources in together, giving sacrificially, Lord, that, through the Lord's blessings. That is what makes all this possible. And uh, so I just thank you for your faithfulness and obedience. So may I ask a blessing on this offering. And the people come around, and if, they, if they, they're holding the bag in front of you too long, let me know if that's annoying to you. We'll, we'll reprimand them for a little bit for that. But, uh, but anyway, there. Uh, but that, I just appreciate our volunteers and everybody making everything happen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, so much for how great you are. Thank you, Lord, for your generosity toward us. Lord, I, I can't thank you enough for the people who have, Lord, we remember this weekend. People have given their lives sacrificially so we can have the freedom to be here to worship, the liberty that we want to experience. And liberty has been such a, a, a thing at risk right now. Lord, something, an enemy we did not expect. Lord, in the form of a virus and, 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 and fear and angst uh, filling our country, filling our world. And Lord, just uh, I thank you for the brave people out there who continue to serve and fight in, in different ways, Lord, against this enemy. Thank you for those who have given us that example of self-sacrifice, Lord, that we, can, uh, that we can build upon that. And ultimately, Lord, thank you for you. Thank you for giving us the example of ultimate sacrifice. Lord, you were the one who taught us that there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. 
And so, Lord, thank you for modeling that for us, filling us with your Holy Spirit and empowering us to be the same. Now, Lord, we give our gifts to you, Lord, to you, for your glory, for your purposes. And may you use them, Lord, for the glory of your kingdom. But we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Pentecost. Everything is different. Everything is new. Everything. This is the birth of the church. The wind swirls, a hurricane blows, the stale air is forced out, the dust disappears in an instant. The air is fresh, the light is all around, the Holy Spirit enters our lives and we become a new creation. It turns us around, turns our lives upside down, blows away the stale and the old. Christ enters our lives and we are made new. We are made whole. This is the birth of the church. We are gathered here in this place, in this time, to be something new, to refresh the old, to reboot the past, to be the church God created us to be, to be the new creation. This is the Pentecost. God is here. Christ is here. The Spirit is here. And we are part of it. We are the new creation. Next week is Pentecost Sunday. It looks centered, doesn't it? This looks good. And I'm excited. We, um, I did not plan. I don't know why I didn't plan, but I just I get excited when I'm not thinking of something and God is thinking of something because we are talking about uh, this whole series is about the Holy Spirit and the giving of the Holy Spirit we're looking at uh, how God, the, we, the God in me, and that is the Holy Spirit. That is, uh, that's what this whole series is about. Last week we talked about, how we, the message was phone a friend, and how, how the Holy Spirit is there accessible for us all the time, ready for us to 
to just call out to him, to cry out to him, to talk to him. And, uh, and he is always prepared to speak with us, share with us, empower us. Uh, whatever we ask, whatever we need, there he is waiting to give that to us. Jesus, Jesus came. You have the Father who sends the Son, and the Son is here. He dies on a cross. He resurrects from the dead. He ascends to the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. We are each, as we make a commitment to follow Christ, we are baptized in his Spirit. And we use, we, we do water baptism. We have, I wish we had had baptism this morning. It would have been, we had baptism the past two weeks. And that baptism is just symbolic. That water baptism, that immersion, that, that putting somebody down into the water and covering them with water is symbolic of them being covered in the Holy Spirit. And, and so, and that's what you are. You are, you are completely, there's not any part of you wet. I know that uh, in years past when I would do baptisms, uh, every once in a while, somebody would keep an arm out. Or whatever, and they would think that arm, that little hand that didn't go underneath the water, that wasn't as saved as the rest of their body or whatever, or they wouldn't get completely dunked under. You know, we're Baptists, we, we feel like they have to be, everything has to be under the water. I know when I was baptized, my, I had just, back when I had hair right here, and I had a cowlick, and I prayed God would take that cowlick away, and he did. Uh, and, um, and I, but I was, when I was baptized, I just got a haircut, and that hair was sticking up, and the preacher took me under and noticed that hair didn't get wet. And so he brought me up and just some started to breathe in. He stuck me back under and I thought it was some type of, you know, water torture or something. I don't know, you know it's my first time. But um, but I but I got double dunked. The um, but we are we're big about that. But it is it's just symbolism. But what the Holy Spirit does is not symbolism, it is real. It is a is a real covering of us that we are completely immersed in his spirit. And, and this is how we dwell and how we will always dwell. And today we're talking about he is not it. He is him. Now I know even in our church's logo we use a dove to symbolize the Holy Spirit. And, and it does say uh, in scripture that when Jesus was baptized that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove in the form of a dove or, or something of that and whether it was a literal bird or whether it looked like a bird or whatever the case may be, he's not a dove, just for the record. Um, in fact, the, the way that it's described in Acts is he's more like fire. And, and even, even that is the description that, uh, that is given when he's talking about Jesus, when John the Baptist is talking about Jesus, that he is he's one who's going to baptize with fire. That is the flame of the Holy Spirit that is a great symbol for who he is. But mainly to understand, the Bible makes very clear to us, and we're going to see that this morning. It's not an entity. He is not an entity. He is not an it. It's very tempting to to get this idea in our head that, um, that the Holy Spirit is this thing that God gives to us, like a power, like a um, like some type of something you would drink or something you would eat or something that you would put spray on somebody or something, that there's some type of non-living or non-personal thing that is given to us. But he is a he. He is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. In the same way, when you and I talk about the Father, I don't, I'm not seeing the Father. 
I've not looked upon him. We don't look upon God. He reveals himself in the person of Jesus. I've not seen Jesus' body. I know that he has a body. I know that people have have seen him. I know that they wrote about him. I have never seen him. And so just the fact that I have never seen the Holy Spirit doesn't mean he's not a person, doesn't mean he isn't a he. And and understand, you say, well, how do you know that? I know that because that's how God reveals him. God reveals him as a him. And all I know about him is what God reveals to me. And so as we look at this passage this morning in John chapter 14, just bear in mind that Jesus is saying... I'm leaving, but just as I've been here, I'm going to send someone to you, but he's not going to be like me. He's going to be like me in spirit, but he's not going to have a physical body like me. And that's going to be good, because that means he's not just one place at one time like Jesus has been. It means he's going to be in everybody. He's going to maintain this omnipresence of God that Jesus forwent. I mean, Jesus wasn't everywhere at one time. He's just in one place at one time. God is everywhere, and Jesus has the, is, and his aspect of being God is everywhere, but as the Son of Man, he limited himself to being in one place at one time as a physical man. So he could be like us. He took on that attribute. But the Holy Spirit is everywhere, has the ability to be everywhere, obviously, omnipresent. Look at this in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, and we'll see what God reveals to us. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Pray with me. Father, we thank you, God, so much for your incredible wisdom. And Lord, every time we come into your word and every time we look at things you're showing to us, Lord, we're just like children all over again, learning things that um, that are impossible for us to comprehend all of it. But Lord, you give it to us in a way that we can understand, that we can grasp. Father, revealing things to us that are just amazing to our minds to comprehend. Lord, we live in a world that only goes by what it can see and hear, feel, Lord, just completely a slave to the senses which we possess. But Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us insight into what you only can see. Thank you for revealing things to us that we would never be able to come to, turn, to, to, to understand on our own. Thank you for the faith that you have given to us that we can believe in these things and not believe and not think we are being deceived by you, but Lord, that we can trust you. Thank you, Father, of course, for your Son, Jesus Christ, and the gift of your Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at what God reveals to us this morning, we're going to start with a question. The question is this, do you love me? Now, this isn't me me pleading to get an email or a text message. It would be nice. 
saying, yes, Troy, we do love you. Uh, but when somebody, just talking about the question, do you love me, when somebody asks the question, do you love me? I'm going to tell you, if you don't already know this, when they're asking that question, it's because you have either done something or not done something that makes them question whether you really love them or not. We, we talked about this not too long ago when Peter was having this conversation with Jesus. Jesus asked him this question, do you love me? And it was because Peter had done something that revealed that he didn't love Jesus. I don't know if you remember DC Talk. I'm, I'm a DC Talk fan, but uh, the uh, DC Talk had a song called Love is a Verb uh, a while back. And and and, uh, and it is a, I'm not going to sing it for you this morning, but the, um, though I could, just, but I'm not. Uh, the love is a verb is just this idea that love is not just a feeling or an emotion, but it's an action. But that doesn't mean it's not a feeling. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have feelings connected to it. John Piper is very quick to point out in his book, Desiring God, that love, that loving God also has to have a component to it that does have an emotional connection. And for instance, when you, when you tell somebody that you love them, it's not just, you don't just go through a list of things you've done for that person. They want to know, how do you feel toward me? Do you, do you like being with me? Do you enjoy doing this? It's, and what they're saying is, is that you just did something or you haven't done something. Say, for instance, you forgot to get flowers. I, I remember on Valentine's Day, I had a guy in my church who uh, never, his wife would always complain, uh, he never got her anything for Valentine's Day. And so I thought I would do him a solid and I would go get the gift for him to give to his wife. So I got the gift, gave it to him. I said, give this to your wife. It would mean so much to her if you would give this to her. And he's like, you really think so? I said, absolutely. I know it would. So I meant for him to take it home and give it to her on Valentine's Day. But he literally walked in the other room Tossed it to her and go, preacher wanted me to give you this. And uh, one year old, <laughs> and she's like, well, whatever. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's so sad. Uh, we laughed, but he, uh, but you apparently saw a graver side to that. Uh, but the but the thing was, he really uh, did not understand that. That's what we do so often. We you groan, but that's exactly how we love God so often. We, we come to church and I tell you, this is what you need to make God happy. And it's like, we do it. And it's like, there it is, God. Hope you're happy. <laughs> Preacher told me to do this. He doesn't want you to do it because I'm telling you to do it. He doesn't want you to do it because you feel guilty about it. He wants you to do the things he asks you to do because you want to do it. Because you love him. And so you can say, I'm here because I want to be here. I'm giving because I want to give. I'm serving because I want to serve. Not under some sense of compulsion, but because I love you. And, and that's not just what God wants. That's what all the people in your life want. They want you there because you want to be there. He's gotten better. That's, just let me help him out. I'm just, I don't want to leave that thought in your head. That was 30 years ago. He's not a lot better, but he's, he's gotten a little better over time. He's learned to express. Here is what he was communicating. I, he's one of those people that says, I told you I loved you when I got married, and when it changes, I'll let you know. 
That's the type of mentality he has. People, though, need not just to hear it. They need to see it manifest in their life. So, so it's like a back and forth. He's a person who says, look, I can make a list of reasons why you should know that I love you. Because he's he he get, he is a love as a verb person. I take care of you. I provide for you. I do all these different things for you and so forth. But there's two sides to it. It's that I, I not only do it, but I also I, want to, I can express it in other ways. I can express it in other ways. There was a, Gary Smalley wrote a book called The Five Love Languages years ago, and and uh, and it was a it was a book about understanding that everybody interprets love differently. And so just because I feel loved because of you doing certain things doesn't mean you feel loved. A um, a story that was told to me was this woman had always prepared her husband's lunch, and he get to uh, eating, eating lunch with his buddies or whatever, whatever, and, and he would always have the heels of the bread. And he always complained to his buddies at work. It's like, you know, she gives the kids and herself all the good pieces of bread, and when she makes my sandwich, she always uses the heel of the loaf. So, and just complain, complain. And so they were in an argument one time, and he brought that up. You know, he said, you, you always give me the, he said, you do this, do this, but you, you know what's something that always aggravates me? You always give me the heel of the loaf. And she started crying. And she said, you know, when I was a little girl, I loved the heel. And my dad would always save that back for me. And and it was a way that he would do that special for me because he knew I loved it. And so he'd always save it back for me and he always made me a sandwich for every loaf of bread we bought with, with the heels. And she goes, and she goes, and I always do that for you. I always take the heels and put that back. It, of course, he felt like a heel at that point. But, um, but the idea, the thing is, is that she felt that love. But that's, he didn't understand that language. And so, when we talk about loving God, and when God asks us, do you love me? We have to know and understand how he desires to be loved. And if we love him, we will love him on his terms. Not the way we think he should be loved, but the way he tells us that we are to love him. We can't just make it up. We have to understand it. And so Jesus kind of spells it out for us in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Obedience is God's love language. There's no way around it. If we love him, we will do what he says. If we love him, we will learn what he commands and do that. Now, Jesus made it simple, and it's elsewhere in these chapters. But he says, let me, let me simplify for you, because there's a lot of commands in the Bible. It's like, let me simplify for you. I want you to love other people as I've loved you. That's my commandment. Let me just give me let me just give you one. I want you to love other people as I've loved you. And that way, if you just focus on doing that one commandment, uh, and he said this elsewhere, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you love, uh, then love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those those two commandments are kind of intertwined, and all the other commandment uh, intertwined, and all those other commandments are all kind of feed into that. 
And then he simplifies it for his disciples saying, all right, let's just have two, maybe too complicated. Let me get it down to one. If you love me, then you will love other people as I love you. So then the question that still comes to our mind is, how does Jesus love me? How does Jesus love me? And we need, and I cannot answer that question for you in a sermon, on one sermon, but, but know this, almost every sermon that you're ever going to hear has within it a little bit more instruction on this is how Jesus loves us. And so now we need to take that love example, and now we need to do that with the rest of the world. You will never, in the entire course of your life, ever master that completely. You will never learn every aspect of Jesus' love for you. But you are to take every time he shows one more new truth of this is how much I love you, then you need to show him that love also. One thing uh, that he does in the Lord's Prayer where he says, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive trespass against us. Just a little, little phrase there. But then it, he's saying, how much does he forgive me? And that's how I should forgive other people. If I want to be forgiven, I need to forgive. He says, if you want to get the speck out of somebody's eye, if you want to love them enough, care them enough, you see them with this irritating speck in their eye and it's bothering them and it's bothering you that they're being bothered and you want to help them, you've got to get the plank out of your own eye. And he's saying, if you really want to help people, you've got to, you've got to get yourself fixed. You've got to come to me and you have to be healed. You have to let me remove this major thing out of your life so you can help other people. And, and, so, and then there's, there's so many layers to that. But here is the main thing you and I need to come to terms with. We need to obey Jesus with all that that entails, learning what it means to obey him, learning what pleases him, learning how to love like he loves, and then doing that. We need to obey him, or we need to acknowledge that we do not love him. Because you can't say you love him. Well, you can't. You can say you love him and not obey him, but you don't really love him. You're just saying it. Just because you say it doesn't make it so. Jesus even says, there's going to be a lot of people that come to me and say, Lord, Lord, call me Lord, and I'm not going to know who they are. And he says, this is how I define people who are my followers. They do what I tell them to do. That's what sets them apart. It's very simple. When you are, when you and I are trying to say, I wonder if this person's a Christian or a believer or not, just ask the question. Do they do what Jesus commands them to do? Are they obedient to Jesus? And if they're not, if they're disobeying the Lord, then pray that they would repent and begin to obey the Lord. Because if they don't, then you don't. I don't know if they're saved. I mean, that's a risky world to live in. Because the word says they're not. They're not. Now, that doesn't mean people don't disobey him for this moment. Here's the crazy part. And, and, and just hear this. Everybody here should hear this. 
If you ever say, I'm not sure whether I'm saved, I'm not sure whether I'm a Christian. If you sit there this morning and say, man, I've been really bad this week. I'm not sure I'm a true follower of Jesus Christ. And then you don't don't go through this mental process of saying, try to come up with things you've done good and try to make yourself feel better that you are a follower of Jesus. Just right at this moment, say, you know what? God I want you to forgive everything. I want to put my trust in you. I now, If I wasn't following you yesterday, if I wasn't following you this morning, if I wasn't trusting you five minutes ago, I'm going to trust you now. And if you trust him now, it's irrelevant what was true five minutes ago. What's true is that you now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are safe in his grace. You are. That's what it is. It's not what you did. It's just you putting your trust in him. It's not about, you know, it's not about thinking about, I, well, I know I'm saved because of what I did. Because you're not saved of what you did when you were eight. You're not saved of what you did when you were 17. You're not saved because of what you did when you were 25. You're saved because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And so he's saying, here's how you know you're okay because you're, you're walking with me. We have a relationship with each other. It's This is a very simple thing. And, and it's played out between my wife and I every single day. Because you would think, we'll be married 31 years, July 15th. 31 years. Now, that used to mean something at when I was at East Hartford because we were like one of the older couples. And then I come here, and it's like I feel like I'm a newlywed. It's like, oh, we've been married 83 years, Troy. It's like if you haven't had a 50th wedding anniversary in this church, you just don't know what you're doing. But after 31 years, here's, here's what happens. I, tomorrow, tomorrow, maybe today, I could question whether she loves me. She may question whether I love her. Something could go wrong. Now, if you're married, surely you know what I'm talking about. I can make a mistake today. I can do something that will really mess up our relationship. I could not make a mistake today. She could just... Have a dream that I did something and it could really mess up a relationship. That has that has happened so often. It's like I had a dream that you did this. And it's like, huh. And then it's like, now she's then she's being mean to me. You know, it's like, I can't believe you would do that. It's like I I I didn't do that. But she thinks I did. If that can happen between the two of us after we've been together for 31 years, it can happen in my relationship with God. It can happen in any relationship with anybody. Because we are fallen people living in a fallen world and we make mistakes and we do things wrong and then that irritates that relationship. And here's how we fix it every single time. We just talk to each other. We just come back together and say, look, I'm so sorry I did that. I'm so sorry I said that. So sorry we had this moment. You know that I love you. The commitment that I made to you 31 years ago still stands. 
And now I want to demonstrate that love by now washing the dishes or whatever it is that I'm, I need to do. Whatever it is I need to do at that point to demonstrate that I do love. And, and that is one thing, the advantage of having been together for a long period of time. You should be figuring out this is her love language. This is what, this is how you say I love you to the other person. This is how they hear I love you. My wife is with her mom today. I'm taking a great risk right now, believing that my mother-in-law never watches this podcast or this live stream. But when we first got married, there was a little bit of tension in our relationship between me and my mother-in-law. I knew I knew there were mother-in-law stories, but there was kind of that tension or whatever. And and I was like, I didn't marry your mom. I married you. That worked for a while. It wasn't working, but I was thinking it was working. I, I was rationalizing it myself. And I realized in my wife's love language, her love language is, if you love my mom, you love me. And when I learned that, now when I see my mother-in-law, every time I see her, now she expects it. It's like a Pavlovian response. I always walk up to her and kiss her and hug her and tell her I love her. Every time. Because I know that when I do that, my wife feels me loving her. Feels me loving her. And Katie, I swear if you share any of this, (laughs) I not only know your love language, I know your hurt language. And you know I do. (laughs) So obey Jesus or at least acknowledge you do not love him. Because if you'll at least acknowledge you don't love him, at least you know you need to repent. At least you know you need to get back to where you do show him that you love him. You know that you are not where you need to be, and that's how you fix it. If you're thinking, my life is all messed up, or I don't know if I'm following God or whatever, just know this. If you'll just stop and say, okay, I need to love you. You know, it's like when people say things are not good between me and my spouse, it's like, because you're not loving them. If you start loving them, I'm telling you, fix it. Every time, every single time. If you just love them. It's at least on your part, it's repaired. Because that's what love is. It's loving people when they don't deserve to be loved. And how does Jesus love me? He loves me when I don't deserve to be loved. How does Jesus love me? He loves me when I've messed up royally. How does Jesus love me? He loves me when I don't ever say I love him. When I don't act like I love him. He loves me anyway. So if I love other people that way, when they don't say they love me, and when they don't do things to deserve my love, when when they treat me awful and I still love them, now I'm loving people like Jesus loves me. And that's how I love him. That's the love language. So if you're not doing that, if you're not forgiving somebody or not being kind to other people, then you're not loving Jesus. And if you're not loving Jesus, just acknowledge that. I'm not where I need to be. That's why my life is messed up. If you're tired of your life being messed up, if you're tired of not being where you're supposed to be, then stop and say, okay, I'm going to start doing this the way Jesus asked me to do it. Second thing, this little expression that my son, Jonathan, learned in Thailand. He would say that when he was in Thailand, they would say these words, same, same, but different. And um, 
And it was like when you would go to the marketplace and you'd ask, do you have this? And they would bring out something that wasn't what you were asking for. But they go, we have this, same, same, but different. And that was at the whole time, you know, do you have Mountain Dew? Mm, and they bring out a bottle of something, same, same, but different. And uh, and so that's that was just kind of a thing. And so he, we would always laugh about that. And so we, we say that all the time when people say, uh, hey, uh, look, this is a, you know, do you have this? And, and they bring out something that obviously isn't what I asked for, but it's all same, same, but different. And... Um, and this is this idea is it reminded me when we were talking about this next thing about the Holy Spirit. He's exactly like Jesus, but he's different. And and that the difference is is that he is not flesh and blood, but his spirit is the spirit of Christ. So when you and I talk about the Holy Spirit being in me, uh, that, and that makes us the same as Christ, but different because I'm not Jesus. I have my own nature and the fallenness that goes along with it. I'm me, but with the spirit of Christ in me. And so I have within me, so there will be things that look like Jesus that go through me and that go through you when you are loving other people that look like Jesus, but it will be different. It will be you. And so the odd part here is, is that the spirit in Jesus and the spirit of the Holy Spirit are the same. It's the flesh and blood that's different. The Holy Spirit is not flesh and blood. But then he comes into my flesh and blood. And so now I have the spirit of Christ, but I have the body of Troy. And also the consciousness of Troy and the mind of Troy and all these things that make me, me. And when you and I go out into the world, they see us, but they also see collectively. When you and I work together, act together, so where we now see the Holy Spirit in action. And, and this is what is really amazing about the church and, and the body of Christ he pulls people together, all these different people, and he, God is so vast and so big, great, awesome, however you, what words we can use to describe it. He takes you and 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 me, and he puts all of us together, doing something in harmony together that reflects him. And then, so much so that when we look at it, we go, wow, only God could do that. That is an act of God. Look in verse 16. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Now hear that. Another counselor. Meaning, Jesus has been a counselor to his disciples. He has been a comforter to his disciples. This word has all kinds of variations. You'll see helper, comforter, counselor. All the same thing. He has been this to his disciples, and now, but he's he's sending them another one. And he says, I'm going to give you another counselor to be with you, hear this word, forever. Forever. Meaning, he's not going to leave you. You know, I've got, I'm leaving you. I'm going to die on a cross, I'm going to rise from the dead, I'm going to spend 40 days with you, then I'm going to send to my Father in heaven. 
But this spirit, when this comforter comes, this part of the Godhead, when this member of the Trinity arrives, he's going to be with you forever. He will never leave us. As Jesus guided the disciples, so the Holy Spirit guides us forever. And so what do we, we, what do, we do? We follow him. We follow him. Just as, just as Jesus came, it's the same way with the disciples. When Jesus came and, the, and, and told his disciples, lay down your nets and walk with me, follow me, and they laid down their nets and followed him, so the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, lay down your nets and follow me, and we follow him. It's just there's not a body, single body. But hear this word. But there is a body of Christ. Where is the body of Christ? This is it. It is the church. We are the body of Christ. So when the body comes to you, and says, follow me, through the Holy Spirit, that is the Spirit calling you. When you all got together, prayed together, and said, hey, Troy, would you come pastor us? That's not just a collection of people reasoning and debating together to come to a conclusion that they want me to come as their pastor. It is the Holy Spirit working within individual people collectively together to communicate His will. And that is what we are, all, we are always trying to discern in that process is, is this just a group of people who think this is a good idea? Or is this the Spirit of God speaking through the body of Christ, coming to us and saying, follow me. This is where I want you to be. And when you discern it to be the Spirit of God, there is no debate anymore. Then it's not a... I don't know if it's a good job. I don't know if it pays enough. I don't know what the benefits are. I don't know what the community is like and so forth. Those are not relevant questions at that point. At that point, it is this is the Holy Spirit speaking. This is Jesus calling me through the Holy Spirit, through the body of Christ. And there is only one response that is valid. And that is, yes, Lord. And when you don't respond that way, when and, and he doesn't just do that for preachers, he does it for everybody. You are here because the Holy Spirit is speaking, or you should be. If you're not here because the Holy Spirit wants you to be here, then you need to be asking, where does the Holy Spirit want you to be? But he speaks through this body. He speaks through the church. He speaks through God's people. He also speaks through the word. I mean, he communicates the word and, and so forth. But where do we learn the word? We learn the word in the context of the body of Christ. This is how he set it up. He gathered a group of people together and he said, this is where I'm going to build my church. On you people. And it's not going to be a building. That's what... That's what should be so amazing at this time. That's what people need to see. You know, we were talking about talking to people yesterday in Kentucky who feel like they're in the communist state of Kentucky instead of the Commonwealth right now. You know, and you, we had, you know, the president saying that churches are essential and then Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, you know, saying, nope, they're not. 
Let me tell you something. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is not the Spirit of God. Is not the body of Christ. There is the president is not the body of Christ. The government is not the body of Christ. Friends, the church is the body of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit speaking through the word to his church and the church understanding, discerning that word together collectively as his people, it is the authority we follow. Period. I mean, think about it. We know this. If, I mean, when you look at church history, do you think the Caesars always told the church, do what you want to do? Because the government approves it? No. The church is no less the church in China than it is here. If you're, if you're in the church in China, you don't have to say, well, I wish I could get to the United States so I could be the church. No. If you're in China, then you've got to be in the church in China. doesn't matter what the government says. doesn't matter who the government is. doesn't matter what the government does. We, I am so thankful, especially when we talk about it. My grandfather was a person who was on the beaches of Normandy and, and fought for our freedoms, and that was something that was impressed upon us, the high price we have to be able to do what we do, and I am extremely thankful for that. But if God should allow it to be taken away from me or send me somewhere where I don't get to have that, that doesn't change my mission. It doesn't change my calling. It doesn't change the authority in my life. I still have to do what he tells me to do wherever he tells me to do it. It is irrelevant what the prevailing power is. I'm thankful when we have leadership that reflects or that encourages or that supports what we believe. But if we should ever lose that, we still have to remain faithful. We still have to follow Him, the Holy Spirit. And lastly, I, I was in a play, I was getting ready to be in a play called Harvey. It was a movie with Jimmy Stewart. I remember he had a, a, a the point is that the Holy Spirit is my invisible friend. Well, it made me think of this play or movie with Jimmy Stewart back from 1950. Um, he had a friend that was a six foot three and a half inch rabbit named Harvey. So if you think movies are weird now, they've been weird for a while. Now, this was a um, it was a, called a puka. It was a Celtic spirit that um, that was following around in, in the form of a rabbit. And so uh, people thought he was crazy, obviously. And uh, and so anyway, that's what the point of the movie is. I uh, I've shared this before. I'll share it again, just for clarification for those who may not have heard it. I I was deemed crazy by the International Mission Board. <laughs> Maybe I should have said that in the interview. Um, it wasn't the International Mission Board. I didn't realize this at the time when we were interviewing with the International Mission Board for Missionary Service. They used a secular agency to do the interview process, the psychological evaluations. I did not know that, just for the record. I was given a test by the International Mission Board, and it had questions such as, do you believe someone is watching you all the time? 
I said, yes. Do you believe that someone wants you dead? Yes. Do you believe that there are invisible forces at work around you? Yes. So, they call me in. Mr. Richard, they were so nice to me. They are, you're always nice to crazy people. And so, you don't know what they're going to do. So, Mr. Richards, it's no big deal. We just want to ask you a few questions for clarification or whatever. So, so, you think that someone wants you dead? Yes. Who, who is that? Who, who do you think wants you dead? Well, the devil, Satan. And like, oh, oh, okay, check. You say that somebody's, somebody's, Watching you all the time? Who's who do you think is watching you all the time? God. <laughs> He's watching me all the time. And then it's like, oh <laughs> and the eyes are rolling back on your head. And then they're looking they're looking at the list, they're going, Oh, check, 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 flip, check, 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 check. And they're like, okay, you're not crazy, you're just religious. Um which you would think. And I even asked, I said, why would you ask a secular agency in Minnesota to do my psychological evaluation? And why would you not tell me ahead of time, give them worldly answers, don't give them spiritual answers? Because here's the thing, the world thinks we're crazy. The things we talk about, they think we're crazy. But you always have to remember this. They don't see what we see. They don't know what we know. They're not, they're naturalists. They, they live in a natural world. They do not believe in the supernatural. I mean, just when you even say it, do you believe in the supernatural? We get like weird. If you're in a classroom at school, do you believe in Who believes in the supernatural? It's like, ooh, that sounds so bad or weird. Friends, let me tell you. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're in the church, you absolutely believe in the supernatural. We all, the, the Bible is a supernatural book filled with supernatural stories. Talking about, I remember being in a church and asking them, how many of you believe in miracles? My first church I pastored. I hope they're hearing this. Uh, I, I asked them, how many believe in the miracles? On a Wednesday night. And I was told by somebody, you're going to be shocked if you ask that question. I, I was. I said, how many of you believe in the miracles? One hand went up in a group of 30 people on a Wednesday night Bible study. And I'm like, maybe they didn't understand. And then somebody goes, asked the question. They said, Old Testament or New Testament? And I was like, oh, no. And then they said, well, I mean, come on. I don't really believe somebody was swallowed by a fish for three days. And I said, okay, do you believe in the resurrection? And they said, well, of course. I said, so you believe that God can raise a person from the dead and that person can live forever, but you don't believe he can have a person swallowed by a fish and survive? Really? And they would have like explanations. I mean, these are the people that rationalize the Red Sea crossing and so forth and and then you're like, oh, I'm in a liberal church. And let me tell you, there's a lot of that in the world. 
In our seminary, at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, before Dr. Muller came, and I don't know what you think about Dr. Muller, you can think what you want to think about Dr. Muller, but I'm going to tell you, this is what was before he got there. If you believe the Bible was inerrant and infallible, you could not teach at Southern Seminary. Period. That was the standard. If you believed it was inerrant and infallible, if you believed the Bible was true, you were not allowed to teach on staff. That is why there was a conservative resurgence. That is why at our conventions it became very important who became elected president. And that was why we fought to maintain integrity in our seminaries and we took them back. We're one of the few denominations that fought that battle and won a victory to keep us faithful to the truth of God's word. And I'm grateful for that. But it doesn't mean anything if you don't believe that. Friends, look in verse 17. He says, The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Do not believe what anyone says about God who does not have the Holy Spirit. Hear that. Do not believe what anyone says about God who does not have the Holy Spirit. If they do not have faith in Jesus, if they do not believe that he was born of the virgin, if they do not believe that he died on the cross, if they do not believe that he rose from the dead, if they do not believe that he is alive today and that he is going to return for his church and that he sent his Holy Spirit and that his Holy Spirit empowers us, if they do not believe these things, then do not believe them. They are blind. They're blind. And let me tell you, if you do not believe these things, whether you want to know it or not, you are blind. Jesus met with two types of blind people. One group who, didn't, who were blind that didn't believe they were blind. And the other group were blind and wanted to see. And that's the way we are here today. You're either blind, but don't believe you're blind. Or you know you're blind, but you want to see. And I guess today here would be a third group of people. Those of us who can say, sing Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. Let me ask you this question. Is there evidence... Is there evidence that he, the Spirit of God, is in you? Is there evidence of that? Have your eyes been opened? Do you see him? And, and, and this, is, this is the thing. If, you, if you're there to say, I, I hear you talk about these things. I, Katie and I were driving home yesterday. Been up this week preparing the messages for the year. She's my accountability partner for the week. She drew the short straw. And um, we're on the way home, and my car, right on the interstate, said, Your oil pressure is below 5 psi. Shut the engine off immediately. That's not, and then like an alarm's going off. I didn't know it had the alarm. I was grateful. Pull off the road, shut it off. 
And there you are, three hour, two and a half hours from home, sitting on the side of I-24. Okay, God, what next? I believed there was a power greater than me, a being in the universe who had the power to fix this situation. I believed that I could try to figure out, do what I, I mean, I didn't know what to do except to say, God, help me in this moment. And then instantly, in my mind, it was like things are being revealed to me. Two miles back, we just passed a service station. I'm like, but how am I going to turn around the interstate? It has that little barrier thing. And then Katie's like, probably up there by the bridge, there's a place where you can turn around. You know how they always have the, in Kentucky, they have the do not, no U-turn sign, but there was no U-turn, no U-turn sign on this particular place. So we drove up, and sure enough, there was a turnaround. We turn around, we make it back, we, I'm throttling the car to keep the pressure off, and we get to the place, we get off two miles, there's nothing there, there's no, the, nothing to help us at the service station. So we ask, they say, no, there's a place that changes oil, just right up here. So we go up there, they change our oil. And are able to fix the problem and make it home. It's no issue. I only say that because that whole experience was completely different for us than it would have been for anybody else. Because we felt the presence of God right on, like his hand on our shoulder going, don't worry, I've got this. If you need to get home, I'll get you home. If you need... You know, I just want you to see that when things go wrong, I'm here for you. I take care of these things. I resolve these things. And so instead of me just thinking, and we thank all the people who are involved, but we're ultimately saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for taking care of us. Thank you for taking care of us. And we share it today because we know it was him that did it, and we share it as a testimony of his grace. It was evidence that he is at work in our lives, that he's interacting with us and we're communicating this. And I'm just saying this because if you don't have these kind of experiences, if you don't have this kind of relationship with him, you can. There's nothing special about us except what is special about you. What is special about me is special about you and that's that Jesus died for me so that I could have eternal life and he gives me his spirit not because of anything that I've done or deserved, just from sheer grace that He gives to you. The same Spirit He gives to me, He will give to you. And He may not give you a Spirit that gives you the ability to preach in front of a group of people or do whatever I do, but He's going to give you a Spirit that enables you to do what you're supposed to do within the body of Christ. It will be just as important. It will be just as meaningful and valuable. We're not going to get to heaven and go, all oh, the preachers up here, they get the high places. Trust me, that's not going to happen. He's, and we're all going to get there and he's going to go, the, you know, he says, the ones who were least are going to be greatest. The ones who were the, sat at the bottom are going to lift to the top. The ones who are entrusted with little and were faithful in that, I'm going to bless them with much. If you're just simply take what he gives you and you do what he wants you to do with it, then he says that he will bless you. But let me ask you this. Is there evidence that he is in you? And if there is not, today, today, you say, Lord, I, I, be in me. Be in me. Now, 
Gatorade or Nike or I guess it was Gatorade. Yeah, had a campaign. It said, is it in you? And you drink orange Gatorade and you'd sweat orange. I don't know if you remember that. You drink purple Gatorade and you sweat purple. They're basically saying you would see evidence that this was in you. That's what I'm asking. Do people know the Holy Spirit is in you? Because they see Jesus there. You working together in harmony with his people. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for how amazing you are. And pray this morning, God, that we would give ourselves to you. Lord, whatever we did this week, whatever we did this morning that hindered our relationship, Lord, we may come to you. And Lord, we know you will forgive it. There's nothing you won't forgive. There's nothing you won't put behind us. There's nothing you won't fix. There's nothing you won't repair. Doesn't matter how bad we've been. Doesn't matter how many mistakes we've made. You are ready to erase it. Cast it as far as the east is from the west. That means gone. And you're ready for us to start new. But what is the point of starting new if we're not going to follow you now? We're just going to wind up back in the same hole. So Lord, may may we resolve this morning to follow you. To leave behind that old life and embrace the new one. To stop rejecting your word and to embrace what it is you're telling us to do. Because we want to. Because we trust you. Because we're tired of the old life. We're tired of the old man. I want to be the new person. I want to be the new me. I want to walk in the path that you have prepared for me. That you died for me to have. God, may we trust you today and follow you in faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? guys so much for being here today and thank you for watching at home and thank you for just continue to be faithful be part of his church i pray that i pray that today you realize how easily accessible god is that just right there he's ready to just respond to your prayer and he said god i'm coming to my life and he's there he's just waiting on us just waiting on you and me and I pray today he will use you this afternoon. I pray that you'll have a good day tomorrow. If you wake up tomorrow and somehow you messed up and royally and so forth and none of this, wake up tomorrow. His mercies are new every day. Every day. So wake up tomorrow and just start all over again. Start all over again. Say, God, today, today I want to walk with you. I want to follow you in this day and, uh, and give that day to him. God bless you all as we leave here today. Randy, do you feel like praying for us, man? Let me give you a microphone. This more. I think it's on.
Thank you, Brother Troy, so much for your word, your encouragement. Thank you for being here today. What a joy to look out and see the congregation almost full. Almost. But we've got work to do, and there will be a lot of people that will come to our worship in the parking lot. So let's continue to serve the Lord, be encouraged by Him, give faithfully, and be committed to His word. No matter what happens around us, God's in control. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the message, the word of encouragement. Thank you for your word that burns deeply into our heart. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, the Spirit of God in us will be revealed to other people by our actions and by our love. And may we be the kind of people that love others like you loved us. As the scripture says, be with us now, keep us safe, watch over us in our travels and our relationships, and we pray, Heavenly Father, the leadership in our country as they begin to restrict or relieve some of the restrictions that uh, things will get better. I know there's still going to be sickness, but Heavenly Father, we can trudge through this and uh, we can be better people because of it. Thank you again, and we pray your blessings on all of America. Christ in my prayer. Amen.